0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So the team has been around for a really long time. Um, What's the name? Plan B. So it came out nice. before the drug.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so it was just a coincidence? Yeah. So the
0: original story was um, there was a couple in the May League that were on a different team, and then they broke up. And so one part of the couple like, left the team and started a new team. And they're like, well, if I don't have love, like softball is Plan B. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, so, and that's how Plan B was started. That was before the drug came out.
1: That's yeah, like an amazing thing for I guess is it explicitly or implicitly like the feminist queer softball yeah. team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so I feel like this is a, a good start to introduce our our listeners to one of my awesome friends in Vancouver at UBC. Christy Carey, so welcome to another episode of PhDivas. This is Dr. Yao. Um We're, of course, a, pa- a podcast about academia culture and social justice across the STEM humanities divide. And this will be my second interview with someone at the University of British Columbia. So, Christy, would you like to say a little bit about yourself. Hello, I
0: am um, <laughs> Christy. I. Am, I just finished my MA in gender, race, sexuality, and social justice at UBC. I'm originally from the states. Uh, I did my undergrad at Colgate University in upstate New York, so not too far away from Zine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I did. Oh, I did my MA thesis on uh, U.S. universities and student activism over the past um, fifteen years or so. So thinking about how um, university structures have uh, changed in accordance with Public policy and um, sort of like industrial systems of neoliberalism and empire, Mm -hmm. and uh, how they uh, and how we can see that through student activist movements and university responses to student activist Mm -hmm.
1: movements. And what I find particularly cool about this, and uh, one of the many reasons I was really excited to get Christy on PhD, was, is that Christy herself was one of these undergraduate activists at Colgate. And um, my understanding is that you and a group of women of color at Colgate were really instrumental in doing some really important work at Colgate in terms of having them confront like both, I guess, national events as well as like problems institutionally within Colgate. So how about we start with um, the beginning of this timeline? Do you wanna talk about the Colgate experiences that led to that type of work and what you and your friends end up doing?
0: Sure, yeah. Um, So uh, yeah, I was really heavily involved In, uh, I guess, what one would consider more like visible or formal kinds of student activism now um, in my senior year at Colgate. And before that, me and like my three other really good friends, yeah, all women of color at Colgate, um, had been involved for years, for the previous like three years, in facilitating conversations about um, the campus climate, about uh, systems of oppression, about sexual violence, and all of these different things. And, uh, so in the beginning of our senior year, this was, um, right after, um, the, there was like a, a national day, a national walkout day because it was right after, um, the murder of Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the hands up, don't shoot like national call, national day call to action. I think it was like August 23rd or something of that year. <laughs> um, we, uh, we had a, a protest on, on the quad and, uh, So that really started, like that was the very beginning of the year and then we started to, a bunch of different events that happened on campus um, then catalyzed sort of a bigger and more unified movement. Um, And those were like small things, right? From both like things that like we had all experienced in the past four years to like first years coming to campus and being, and Telling us or telling people that we know, or like the, the student color community is quite small at Colgate, mm-hmm. um, telling people that we know or or just like confiding in the fact that like they came and like a student, a student of color would come to Colgate and other people would say, oh, like I didn't know people like you could get in here mm. or like getting called the N word on the bus or like a like, public
1: transit bus or like um, a, is, it, is it the Colgate? Bus? It's the
0: Colgate, like the Colgate cruiser. Um, huh. So it's okay. all Colgate. Oh, Colgate associated people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I wish everybody could see designs. I know. By the way. <laughs> my disgusted
1: face is probably one of the faces I make most often. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, and so uh, then uh, I remember there was one night where we were talking with a, uh, and it gotten to, it had gotten to a point, and this is in the first three weeks of school, um, where every single day we were checking in with um all of our friends right so like a very very intimate community there like checking in to make sure that like people were alive that they were like getting out of bed Mm -hmm. that they were maybe going to class like um doing all these things and we were like this is absurd like this is um because not only like uh was colgate completely business as usual as we recognized like as we recognized the sort of like increasing crisis of um within the u.s Mm -hmm. in terms of um black People getting killed, um, like every twenty eight hours, at the hands of a police officer. Like, um, not only like was that not being recognized or like validated on campus, but also the ways in which, obviously, and this is like where how do I study education with the ways in which the institution then um, mirrors and reflects those same tensions of society. Right, mm-hmm. and so, um, yeah, I guess like in our in our personal relationships, we were like like everybody was in such precarious mental and physical states that we are like something needs, like something needs to change. Like we mm-hmm. need to do something. Clearly like the conversations that we've been having for the past few years like have not been doing enough. Like we can't, there are only so many conferences we can bring students to um, and only so many like aha moments in classrooms that can lead to, um, that can lead to like, I don't know, critical consciousness or mm-hmm. whatever we talk about. Um, and I think the biggest thing for a lot of us is that like this was our last year at Colgate, and there were so many like we like called them the kids like at the risk of perpetuating like lee edelman's like the child, <laughs> but like those first um, years
1: are our future, <laughs> yeah.
0: um, uh, but like yeah, we called them like a, like we were like what like what are we have been in this institution for four years and have not seen a change, mm-hmm. and like we can't with good conscience like leave. All of these people that we mentor and that um, like we have uh, like trained to like take up like leadership positions in the clubs that we run right like um, we can't leave them here in good faith like knowing that this is what they're gonna have to keep facing over and over again um, and so we started like so the four of us um, Mel, Corey, Tosh and I started to think about, like, what, um, what we could do, basically. And I remember we had this meeting with a bunch of professors, professors of color, and us, like, in our cultural center. There were, like, ten of us, and we were like, we are going to do a hunger strike. Mm-hmm. And the professor was like... No, you are not. <laughs> and we were like, but like, if they're killing our like, if they're killing our spirits, then like, they should watch our bodies die on the quad. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. there was a okay. lot happening. Uh-huh. Um, and and so then we thought more critically. Okay, like, but actually, like, what would gain? Um, what would gain? Like momentum and mm-hmm. what would gain um recognition like what would gain recognition of the university what would be legible to university power mm-hmm. um and so then we organized a sit-in and uh, that sit-in took place over 101 hours it was five days um started on september 21st and september 22nd i think and um yeah, and it, and uh, we had twenty one demands, um, action points as we called them, uh, within the sit-in. So I think the totals of like who, how many people were staying there overnight. Well, people coming during the day, we were over like I think over a thousand. But in terms of people sleeping there, I think we were like somewhere around the four hundreds. Um, wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, and like people really, really um organized and we the four of us like basically were like we're gonna have these 10 subcommittees and so we would so we would like do all of our work right like in terms of the classes that we were in and then every night at like 11 or eleven thirty, we would meet in Corey's house and we would plan and we did that for for like basically a week straight but mm-hmm. um this didn't happen like planning and everything it took about a week and we did research on other what other universities had done um reached out to alumni of other universities and kind of just got a feel for like what this would take and so we had like different subcommittees on social media on um on media outreach to like both uh local and more national newspapers and media sources we had a, a, someone, we had like a committee that was especially looking at like the fire codes of the building. We had a committee that was in charge <laughs> of like where everybody's stuff would be during the day. Mm-hmm. Like um, it was, it, we refer to it as it was a like a well oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the four of us, like who, the quote-unquote like original organizers of the sit-in we were damage control so we basically went through every possible thing that could go wrong Mm -hmm. um, in preparation and we had and like the day before the sit-in we had like a five-hour training that like where people got together and um, all the different committees did their stuff and so like while uh, and so that was like in that organization um, I it was like it was just super super powerful because it was like yeah while there were four of us that organized it like we, like every committee had two or three heads, right? So it was like, it was a huge, huge community effort and it was like, and it, I think it was only successful because of all these different like working components that were working completely separately that I still don't know the full extent of, mm-hmm. right? Because um, we were in the university's office, I mean, we were in the president's office for most of the week so I still don't actually know the kinds of like exchanges and happenings that happened in that space. Um, but, yeah, so that happened, and I'm sorry, it's, it's a longer story. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> so that happened, and then throughout the term, basically, so we were successful, quote-unquote, in that we got the university to um, agree to both, like, committed timelines of all of the demands. Um, there were, like, a few back and forth, and like, negotiations and stuff. Um, and then, basically, as the term went on, there were more protests, right? Uh, um, so there were more rallies on... Um, for Black Lives Matter, there were more um, that that was the same year I think Colgate brought um, uh, Colgate brought like a very i can't i can't remember the details, but like a contentious speaker to campus, and so there were protests around that um, and uh, so all the way up until uh, this was uh, I think in November um, yeah, in November, then there was the lack of indictment for both. Eric Garner and Mike Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, that came. They came out within about a week of each other. Um, and so we're at this point again, where we're like, okay, what are we going to do? Right? Like, we are still, like, because after the sit-in, everything basically went back to like business as usual at Colgate. Mm-hmm. And um, so then there was a die-in in the in the student center, and uh, and as part of the die-in, there. Um, we had an American flag that was turned upside down and on it was written Black Lives Matter and um, the names of uh, black folks that had been killed that year at the hands of police. Mm-hmm. And um, and what happened as a result of that, well, people, during the die-in itself, like other students like would walk through and they like, they stepped on people, they kicked people, um, they said it was an inconvenience and said this was ridiculous, all these things. Um, and then... When uh, my friend
1: was holding the flag outside the coop, then she started to get death threats. Um, so if I may just have a quick aside. For yeah. So just to paint um, a picture of Colgate to for our listeners who might be less familiar, do you want to just mm-hmm. describe it as an institution and then the usual demographics very quickly? Oh, yeah. So yeah.
0: Colgate is um, considered a quote unquote like, elite small private institution, liberal mm-hmm. arts institution in upstate New York. And it is sixty um, percent of the students are full pay, and uh, it is majority white, as most small liberal arts mm-hmm. colleges are. Um, but because sixty percent of the students are full pay, and it is not a need-blind university, it means that there is um, like a particularly large class gap that I think like is similar to other institutions, but is also unique to the setting of Colgate. In that, um, because so many students are full pay, then all of the scholarship is covered under a lot of students that are then full scholarship. Um, so there really is a like a stark divide.
1: Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, sorry, just to backtrack mm-hmm. a little bit, you've, you've had this wonderful description uh, of the way that you guys managed to bring in together so many people in the student community to do all this fantastic work. But there is also this, like, do you, mm-hmm. you want to comment a, a little bit more on the reaction that you got from other students? And like what oh, type yeah. of support did you end up seeing um, yeah. yeah, it's okay. funny because
0: I feel like my memory is so focused on like December and because the death threat, the threats then escalated to like mm-hmm. threatening and like follow people like following people home Good. and like all like a lot of things that were and it ended up with like twenty of us leaving campus um, early and uh, because like my memory is so focused on that I forget that like during the actual sit-in itself like there was a ton of backlash mm-hmm. from the rest of the student body most of which appeared on um, the anonymous platform. Platform Yik Yak, um, yeah, and uh, but some people also got anonymous emails to their um, inboxes and things like and that. And
1: what was Colgate's response? Uh,
0: nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. They said that they couldn't, especially even with the death threats, they said that they couldn't track anybody down. They couldn't shut down the app. They couldn't do anything. The only thing that they advised us to do was to quote unquote turn it down, um, and then As uh, not
1: turn down your protests or yeah. Okay.
0: And what they... And then, when it did escalate to a moment where, like, there were a bunch of students that were like, we're going to go to the student center with, like, American flags and, like, show these people what has happened. Like, show these people, like, I don't even know what the language was. But, um, and so then, like, obviously, a bunch of us showed up at the student center and, like, nobody showed up because (laughs) um, no Mm -hmm. one else, none of, like, the people on Yik Yak that posted came. But... Mm -hmm. Then the head of campus safety said, like, uh, he said that he couldn't support us. And so, like, people's lives were being threatened. And the head mm-hmm. of campus safety said that, like, he couldn't protect us um, and couldn't do anything about it. And so then our dean of uh, the college, yeah, the dean of the college at the time said, um, like, the best option that I can offer right now is, like, you can finish your work remotely. And so 21 of us left. Wow. And in December, as we were gone, Colgate held a candlelight vigil uh, for reconciliation. And so meanwhile, like Mm -hmm. all of us were gone and we were like, how can you be reconciled when literally no one is there? (laughs) Um, So yeah, we came back in January and uh, there was a big shift. And I mean, Colgate was back to business as usual and all of that. But in terms of like our community like all of the events and like, we have these things called brown bag lunches, which are lunchtime lectures. Like all of them were focused on like, how do we do self care? And like, how do we basically like survive through the next semester? And for the kids, for like the
1: younger students below us, like for the next few years. Mm -hmm. um, What was your major, what was your own academic trajectory hmm. like? And what was its relationship like to um, your different forms of activism? Hmm. That's a good question.
0: Um, I, so I started out as a math major, and then my <laughs> advisor – and then uh, how, how your advisors are paired at Colgate is it's connected to your first-year seminar. So my first-year seminar was the intro to educational studies class, and so my advisor was an educational studies professor. Um, and uh, I, so I went to my advisor, Mark, and I was like, I – um want to major in math and uh, and oh I want to major in math and he was like okay he was like but also like take these courses in sociology and like peace and conflict studies to like i don't know broaden your horizon i was like okay so then i was like i loved peace and conflict studies um and i was like i want to major in math and peace and conflict studies and he was like then we sat down to like try and map it out and he was like you can't Just in terms of like just not being able to talk about the credits, which I found out a year later he lied to me about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mark. And yet, you're well, fortunately, you're still on good terms.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yes. um, But yeah, so then. then I decided I was doing math for the wrong reasons. Um, I was doing it to uh, for a certain kind of like palatability in my family and and yeah, different things of that nature. And so then I was like, I'm just going to do peace and conflict studies. And I also started taking more educational studies courses. Um, and so basically, like how i viewed those two things in tandem was um peace and conflict studies which talked about obviously um like conflict and systems of oppression Mm -hmm. and kind of like and like in the international arena and then i thought about educational studies and basically like using the institution of the school as a text through which i could understand like theories of peace and conflict Mm -hmm. um and so thinking about the school as a microcosm of society and um so like really starting to put those two things together um, as I went through and as that informed, like how I was involved in, um, the anti-racism coalition at Colgate, the like sisters of the round table, um, which is, a uh, feminist woman of color group on that talks about issues related to, um, intersectionality and feminism, um, both on campus and beyond. Um, and then I was also involved, I did a lot of stuff on like trying to, um Bridge the uh, sort of narratives between like the benevolent volunteer and the angry activist, mm. so thinking about like both of these two figures as um, if they're both for if they 're both posited as um, looking for quote unquote like social justice goals or um, thinking about like the betterment quote-unquote of society then like why are there why are our impressions of them so disparate um, and so I was really involved with um, the Center for Volunteerism and Outreach to try and um, recraft like what what it means like what it, what it could mean to like a, as activism as like a kind of community service or like maybe like the best thing that one can do in like the volunteer position is to listen right um and so yeah I spent a lot of a lot of my time at colgate um doing that kind of work as well, and that sort of just um, fe- i guess fed into my motivations of um being intimately involved with uh, with like the more formal activism work in my senior mm-hmm. year
1: I guess this comes to another question I was really interested in you've sort of mentioned this, but how did faculty how were faculty able to support you and uh thinking like ahead like how would you recommend that faculty support student activists generally
0: um we had a lot we had a lot of support mm-hmm. um, and a lot of faculty that like would consult with us every day um, mm-hmm and like every day to sit in and also leading up to it um so both they would like lend their experience and also their advice so we had faculty that like helped craft like we had a rhetoric uh, a a faculty member in like writing and rhetoric that helped us like craft the language of Mm, our um, Mm -hmm. of our demands and um uh, faculty that were just like any anywhere from like bringing food during the during the sit-in to hosting the classes there to um, uh, but yeah, basically, like doing whatever they could in their power, um, which was hard, also because there's also like the navigation of untenured versus tenured faculty who mm-hmm. could be more visible or not visible. Um, so, like in the planning, for example, if we wanted to involve any untenured faculty, we would use their personal email um, mm-hmm. rather than their um, university. That's a really email. good point. Yeah, um, because yeah, it's hard, um, and this is actually something that I. Um, I feel like I have, um, I have a different perspective on both. Like, because during the sit-in, like the faculty support was there, and I didn't sort of see, um, I don't know how to put this, but like, uh, during the sit-in, the faculty support was like totally there and present. Um, and I didn't sort of see like the, what I, a a perspective that I now have after, like, spending Mm -hmm. the past two years doing research on, um, student activism, which is, like, what happens if, like, you're a faculty member and you don't agree with the tactics of your students, but, like, you want to support your students on the right? Um, and so I think that, like, those conversations are hard conversations to have, um, and they have a lot of tensions, but, like, at the end of the day, like, even if faculty didn't support all of our 21 demands, like, they showed up and Mm -hmm. they were there, and, um, like that's what I remember most.
1: Yeah. So to go back to the specifics of the protests, would you like to tell us a little bit about um, maybe some of the specific 21 points and like what were those in relation to? Like how did it evolve, how did you manage to select those points Um, and then what sort of trajectory did they have in terms of getting digested by the administration into any sort of change or Mm. not?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember because it was... Sorry, sorry. I, I, I know this is like... <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, it's good. So we had different categories. So mm-hmm. we had ones underneath like admission. We had ca- underneath financial aid, underneath um, social life and Greek life. So everything from like... Making sure there were more work study jobs that were available and actually followed through, because like also one of the things that kept happening was like students of color were promised work study jobs and then not given the jobs mm-hmm. when they came to campus, and so things like that that were um, like that needed to be fixed institutionally to like um, train like uh, trainings for all campus safety and tour guides and things of that nature to um, to thinking about like why. Um, the why certain social houses um so we had like a social justice house at colgate Mm -hmm. um why certain houses were like greek houses for example like were not as heavily policed as um in terms of like hosting parties and things like that um as others and so like a lot of it um there were a few points about like greek life and non-greek life because there is a huge greek life culture at colgate um yeah so uh Really, lots of different areas, and in terms of like how that got absorbed into the institution. um, So, uh, yeah, this is something that I think about a lot because it was all of the twenty one points were posted on the website, and with a timeline, right? Mm -hmm. So with um, like when will this can be completed by? Like, um, like for example, like there was somebody that was appointed as like that would help with. that was like solely responsible for students of color um, going through the natural sciences and pre-med, so like offering support for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so like a timeline of when these things would be completed, and uh, yeah, I think I, the problem is is that like throughout the year, I feel like I was in so, we were in so many meetings of how these were to be completed, mm-hmm. and that I don't even actually know like to this day how many of those things actually got done Mm -hmm. um because uh, it was so exhausting for the entire year (laughs) um and also since then um in the past three years there has been a complete administrative turnover so none i saw you have a new president right we have a new president none of the same deans Mm -hmm. um that were there during the sit-in are currently there everyone has left um so that yeah that has been a big change as well I know I, I don't actually know because I haven't been on campus but mm-hmm. um, in terms of taking up the kind of, the kinds of conversations that were left mm-hmm. um, I don't know how that adjustment is being made but it is something that I have thought about a lot in terms of my research and sort of like the institutional absorption
1: of yeah. student protests I think in the mainstream consciousness when people think about student activists I feel like they don't Really understand the amount of work it takes or the amount of organization. I think they usually think of these uh, disaffected, uh, probably with quote-unquote spoiled and sensitive, you know, etc. Millennial generation kids who uh, are just upset very vaguely. But as you're describing, this is about an immense amount of work, an immense amount of organization. I'd say like, like really admirably professional, um, really carefully managed. And on the other other side, uh, I think probably, and I'm sure that you guys are sort of pushing against that type of image. And on the other side, like maybe the other critique that would come up when people talk about student activism is like, is it quote unquote useful? And the sort of question of like, how does protest get instrumentalized into change? So I think we're sort of getting that with the 21 points, but do you want to comment on what your own experience was like of that? Yeah.
0: Um, I think that, I think that, it's funny because you were like, We're not going to talk about this. Like, this is like a lot of what I talked about in my yeah. In so, my I guess the word is like seamlessly <laughs> blending
1: your undergraduate and graduate existence um, together, yeah.
0: <laughs> But, yeah, in terms of like uh, what is legible, um, and like what could be legible to university, mm-hmm. like, I think that we presented things like trainings, like, I think we spoke the language of. Uh, Um, of the university very particularly because like we knew it would be successful right Mm -hmm. like we knew that if we reached out to local media sources and um, we knew that if we got this covered then there is no way that that Colgate would send a line of police to -hmm. us because Mm -hmm. because like the fact is with the corporatization of universities and like with the protection of uh, Colgate as a brand, like, that is more important to them mm-hmm. um, than anything that we could possibly
1: do. Yeah, was Kansas it at Georgia. UC Davis that they got, pe- the students got pepper sprayed? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, and Colgate as a, like, a private institution um, that relies so much on its donors, um, they can't afford to have, like, their brand name impacted in that way, mm-hmm. um, and have, like, a deterrence of, of students applying. Um and so and we knew that going in like Mm -hmm. we knew that it would be successful Um, and I think that is part of where like the critique of like are you radical enough right like no right Mm -hmm. like it because one can't like I resist the fact that we think that the conversation of uh, one can be in but not of the university is is false for me Mm -hmm. I um, we are entangled in its desires right like our subjective mm-hmm. like we are more than our subjectivities but our subjectivities are also entangled within the desires of the institution mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. every single person that was part of that protest like also applied for fellowships through the university also wanted to graduate also needed that um, like we need the legitimacy of the college diploma in order to like uh, get into certain places after graduation right like mm-hmm. um, And so we are invested in the university, in the brand's success. Um, And so, in that way, like, of course, these positions aren't radical enough, right? Of course, um, like, because what would be to be radical enough, right? To decolonize, to give back land, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how, like, how can we exist within the university and Mm -hmm. also and also call for those things on an institutional level? Yeah, Um, which I think is a tension that is happening everywhere. Like, I think that. I think that scholars are grappling with this in in so many different places and ways um and uh yeah, and so I guess in our thinking like we there were certain things that like we didn't get and we knew that we weren't gonna get right so we mm-hmm. um in terms of Greek life, for example, we were like, you can either like one of our demands was like shut it down or add multicultural sororities,
1: mm-hmm. and they didn't do either of
0: those things right mm-hmm. um but we knew that most of the things were fairly attainable. And I think that what it comes down to is like, no, it's not radical enough, but at the same time, like how do you how do you make sure that students of color can continue to thrive at the university, right? In these small ways, like mm-hmm. even if you're contributing to the the colonial illusions of the university, like you're also ensuring a particular kind of longevity and survival for students that are coming after you. Mm-hmm. And so like, how do you, how do you make students of color choose between um between like making that making the space for future students or rejecting the university altogether and then what happens right? yes um and so yeah i think they're complicated tensions that um uh, that get preclu- like that get foreclosed when you have like only the conversation between like um are students radical enough or um or students are coddled and, um, and safety, right? Like, because the, those are the two critiques that I'm seeing, and there mm-hmm, has to be definitely. some space
1: in between for a different kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, so obviously, Christy has now contributed to this conversation. So some of the research that she did actually um, was published. I'll link to the article. But how about we get to what this transition again between the BA and the MA like, what drew you to apply to the um, MA that you did? And then also like, what was it like to to shift from an undergrad mode to graduate mode, um, specifically around your project, but also I'm just interested in like, what was that tradition, uh, transition like in terms of uh, self-care, in terms of like uh, maybe different grammars of, uh, of, of course, academic vocabularies, but also how, like maybe what your way of being, having to change for graduate work and so mm-hmm. forth.
0: Yeah, I think that, um... I don't know when this happened at Colgate in my undergrad, but, like, at a certain point, like, all I was doing was asking the same questions over and over again and knowing the answers that would come. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that one of the big things that happened when I came here is that I started to ask, I don't even, like, I, I started to ask more interesting questions and be open to the fact that, like, um that the answers that I could arrive at by myself weren't good enough anymore. Mm. Um, and I did, and I was doing that through so many different modes, right? Like I took literature classes and I took, like I realized, um, I sort of like realized the value of like philosophy, right? And all of these different disciplines that I felt I wasn't invested in when I was an undergrad. Um, and I think I did that because I realized I needed like um, I needed more logics to think through some of the questions, um, that were forming as Mm -hmm. I was in grad school. Um, and so at a certain point at Colgate, I think because I kept asking, asking the same questions, like I was much more invested in student life and I was much more invested in like Raising, like, I organized a bunch of um, students to go to, like, anti-racism conferences, right? And mm-hmm. all of these different things. And I feel like that was really consuming a lot of my, most of my time. And so the tra- tra- the real transition was, like, realizing that um, me in grad school, like, I could dedicate, I, cu- I could and should dedicate this much time to, like, my own reading and writing and, like, cultivating skill sets of critical analysis um, and like learning how to read and write effectively and um, that I feel like I could just like like which are particular skills that I had to work on in grad school mm-hmm. versus in undergrad where I feel like I could like cloud my um, existence there with um, not focusing so much on on the like on solely the academic side of what Mm -hmm. I was involved in. Um, And so, yeah, I guess, like, coming into this MA, like, I just started to read more. (laughs) Like, I I mean, I had read a lot in undergrad, but not, like, not the sort of, I guess, like, what one would consider, like, foundational texts um, in the field.
1: Which were, um, would you you like to name a couple that are particularly important to you?
0: Yeah, so, like, uh, I read... um, a critique of postcolonial, right? A critique reason. Of postcolonial yeah. reason. Um, speedback. feedback, and its entirety twice in the past two years. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I Read a bunch of Foucault, a bunch of Foucault. Thanks, Dina. Um, and uh, yeah, and all of those things, like uh, I guess finding finding the fact that like people have been talking about and crafting levers, right? Not necessarily tools, not necessarily like a toolbox that mm-hmm. one can, because tools, I think, indicate a per, like a particularity, like, but crafting levers that I could then use in uh, like in asking all these different questions and then opening up those questions into um, more interesting ones.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's also really interesting because I feel like a complaint or a frustration I often hear as people are transitioning from undergrad to graduate school is this a complaint about abstraction and the amount of reading seeming very uh separate from praxis, but this is clearly not the case for you it seems it, instead it seems that they they work together to clarify one another um
0: totally yeah, I think that like a lot of that critique of um yeah of how theory isn't related or like whatever these kinds of like how is this literature theory going to be relevant to my work on student
1: activism right mm-hmm. um and i i've heard that a lot too um and as maybe as a quick aside for our listeners who have less of a background it's, it's interesting i feel like the amount of social justice theory that comes out of literature right so totally. yay sorry I have to, I have make, <laughs> maybe i also had to plug us for a little bit but it, but it, i think it is an interesting point to be made mm-hmm. sorry keep going yeah um
0: uh, but like i also I guess my um my my response to that would be but like why like why wouldn't we consider like obviously the the ways of thinking and um existing and questioning that we have right now um are not Working perfectly, right, or mm-hmm. not um, seemingly not enough, right? Because at the same time as we are doing this work, obviously um, uh, there is so much. Like, a, in while I was in this program, Trump was elected, right? Like while I was in this program, um, Brexit happened, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these different things, right? Um, the uh, all of these different things are happening in the world and and in states, and I know I'm in Canada, but um, and so if these, if we know that our ways of questioning and ways of knowing and ways of being aren't um, aren't sufficient, then like, why? I guess like, what risk is there to look mm-hmm. to other modes of thinking and being and feeling?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Christy actually defended her MA like a couple months ago now, mm-hmm. um, and has now transitioned out of academia. So would you like to talk a little bit about like, what has that transition been like?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it's the best thing. ever, uh, <laughs> No. Um, and I'm saying this with the probable intention that like, I probably will go back to academia eventually, mm-hmm. but for right now. So I am doing, I'm working at university of British Columbia in their, um in their teaching and learning. Um, so it's, it's in like their arts program, but it's, concerning teaching learning research projects so it's a it's the continuation of what once was a part-time job for me now a full-time job mm-hmm. so um, basically working with faculty members to um, do research on their classrooms and their class pedagogies um, and how they and how their students are learning and uh, so yes I work in an office from uh, nine to 430 and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I uh, It's, it's been a really welcome, um, break because I think, and I think the reason why is because it is something that I know that I'm good at and something Mm -hmm. I can do effectively. And I never second guess myself on this job. Whereas I feel like grad school, I second guess myself every second, if not every millisecond of every day. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, so, uh, that is what I'm doing right now, and I, uh, fully appreciate the opportunity to be able to do so, with also the, oppor- the realizing that, like, the passion that I do have for research and academia, like, is still there, um, uh-huh. and, uh, is still urgent, right? Like, mm-hmm. I still think the research and the work is urgent, and, um, and, but, like, me taking, I guess, this year or however many years to sort of um, to like, yeah, address other needs in my life um, is also necessary to be able to do that work.
1: Definitely, because I think that something you've sort of touched on, uh, at least in this conversation, but I know is also a larger conversation is like, like, how do you, how does one flourish dealing with all these things? How does, what type of self-care is involved? Like, I'm sure you haven't mentioned the word burnout, but I'm sure that must have been at play for like you and um, many of your friends.
0: I think that there is such a tension, um, especially in community organizing, where like of self-sacrifice and yes. of, yeah. right? Like such commitment to uh, um, each other, right? Such commitment to community. Um, but sometimes like commitment to community also need like. It, it needs to be both and right it is yes. commitment to the self also
1: yeah, and I feel i I've, I've definitely saw that as I've thought as well, because like obviously a lot of us are drawn to this type that type of social justice work precisely because of passion, but then also it becomes this, i think it, for me at least it's because it's easy to to care for others in a way that I can't care for myself, mm-hmm. and like
0: <laughs> totally right um yeah, I thought I had more to say on that, but I was...
1: <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Well, maybe from, on a much lighter note to wrap up, what were some notable, or maybe not necessarily lighter given the political climate, but what have been some of the notable trends, cultural transitions from living in the U.S. to coming to Canada?
0: You say it's a lighter note, but actually, yes. the biggest <laughs> thing that I, well, number one, that the buses apologize. Um <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. do you want to explain that? Yeah, <laughs> so the buses,
0: if they're not in business, if they're not working, they say, sorry, mm-hmm. um, out of service, or on election day, they said, go out and vote. They encourage civic participation on the bus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you noticed that, but I did. Oh, okay. I guess it's something um, I don't really think about. <laughs> yeah. Um, the biggest thing that I have gotten used to was the fact that they're, um, that other people are not likely to have guns on them here Mm -hmm. um so i if i i remember i walked down the street um i was walking downtown one day and there was an alley that just like appeared out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and i was totally caught off guard and i was like i was like shoot like like i was like somebody like could have been standing there with a gun and Mm -hmm. i would have never known right because i think i was just i grew up to like always be aware of my surroundings and Mm -hmm. just sort of like assess what other people, um, like assess the situation of like what other people had on them, like what I had on me. Um, uh, like I used to carry pepper spray, right? Like all these things. Um, and aren't you like not even, isn't it not legal to carry pepper spray? I guess so. Anymore? Yeah.
1: Cause it has been a complaint of Aiden or one of our friends. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, that I think is the biggest cultural adjustment, um, of realizing that it, it's just, it's not, it doesn't, um, have the same culture of guns as it does um, in the States. Like, I know when mm-hmm. Hayden came, right, she was like, are there open carry laws? And everyone was like, carrying what? Like, I know, <laughs> exactly, like, what
1: do you mean? Like, how, why would you even carry things? <laughs> yeah, um, so that was one of the biggest adjustments.
0: Uh, the other thing, which I've now gotten used to, were, you know, the your spellings of things, like color and favorite, <laughs> which, was, which was a big deal for me, only oh, really? because... Um, I use the phrase students of color all the time. Oh, so true. So every
1: time you keep on seeing like
0: yeah. the, yeah. I actually had a, um, my prof, Mark, who, uh, was my advisor, was editing one of, editing, I think, this before it went to publication.
1: And every time I wrote students of color with a U, he would just comment, I hate you, I hate you. <laughs> I get the pun. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Christy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that I got, um, like, I've, I've throughout this whole year, I've been getting through bits and pieces of Christy's experience, so I really appreciate um, getting to know more about that. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of PhD Divas. I'm Dr. Zain If you like this episode, please leave a review. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, and take care of yourselves. Bye.